I basically submitted a, a talk proposal for um, um, uh, FP Exchange. So I, I put in a talk proposal on which was uh, how we construct the boilerplate in Scala, uh, with the idea of, of forcing myself to actually fit, sit down and work out how to make this thing work. Otherwise, I was going to be extremely embarrassed. Not least because. Uh, the keynote speaker, so someone who was actually going to be in the audience, was going to be Simon Payton Jones. So I was going to have to come up with something at least moderately, moderately um, convincing to be able to, to to get that past him. When Miles Sabin applied to speak at a conference on generic programming, he bluffed a little bit. He would present on porting Simon Payton Jones's "Scrap Your Boilerplate" functionality to Scala. Once his talk was accepted, he only had one thing left to do implement the solution. Generic programming is the type of polymorphism your language does not directly support. To me, this definition seems paradoxical, as once you implement a solution, the language, or at least a library within the language, can now support it. This recursive definition and a speaking deadline led Miles to create Shapeless. Years later, he's still pushing the bounds on what you can do in Scala, including recently getting support for literal types added to the Scala C compiler. So, Miles, um, in some some point around 2014, I was I was writing some Scala, and uh, I had to write a function that uh, grouped a a tuple. So I had like a tuple with two values, and I needed to kind of turn it into a. I had sorry, I had a list of tuples, and I needed to kind of group it by the first element into a map. And uh, so I, I wrote that out, and then a week later, I have to write something that takes like a, a three-element tuple and does the same thing, takes the first element and kind of groups the second elements into a map based on that value. And then I had the thought at that time, like, I should be able to um, write something generic over this. And it's at this point that I learned about uh, generic programming and shapeless I don't think I ever got the generic version done, but it did take me on a path to learn about about shapeless and generic programming. So, so what is generic programming? That's a big question. Um, <laughs> um, so, the, for, for for quite a few years now, there has been um, a, a satellite uh, workshop of um, ICFP, uh, the, the uh, International Conference on Fun- Functional Programming, which is kind of the main um, sort of academic. Uh, academic stroke industry sort of functional programming conference annually, um, and this this um, this workshop uh, title uh, has been the the workshop on workshop on generic programming WGP. Uh, I, I guess I've been going 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 to that sort of uh, at least as regularly as I've been going to ICFP. Um, and a, a few years ago, uh, the, um, the the workshop. Uh, chair sort of had a sort of a kickoff session and was trying to sort of bat around ideas. You know, I, I think a few years ago, um, um, generic programming was perhaps perhaps less visible outside academia than, than, than maybe it is now. Um, and one of the things he wanted to do was, you know, what, what's the what's the, the, the sort of the elevator pitch for for, for um, generic programming that, that we could sort of use to make it um, sort of more accessible, more visible to people, kind of outside the the academic community that was mainly involved with it uh, with it at the time. Um, and um, there were there were lots of various different kinds of ideas, but but the the, the, the sort of the catchy one liner that that the sort of group in the workshop came up with at the end was something along the lines of uh, generic. Programming is kinds of polymorphism that your programming language doesn't support yet, um, <laughs> which is which is which which I think which I think is which I think is kind of nice. Um, um, it's it really is um, about um, uh, ways of abstracting, um, which are perhaps richer than we're used to in the context of. Um, uh, standard um, parametric polymorphism or subtype polymorphism in language like Scala, which has both. Um, it's it's an idea of being able to abstract over uh, shapes of data more more generally than 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 you typically typically find it easily easily expressed or represented. Um, there are there are. Lots of sort of grey, grey, fuzzy areas. Um, I mean, where where does um, the kind of polymorphism that um, people typically tend to talk about in in terms of um, uh, 
generic programming? Where, where does it begin? Where does it end? What, what are the kinds of things that are included and what aren't? And, and, it's, and it really isn't particularly clear. I, mean, I think, I think, I think um, as um, sort of type systems that, that, that people get used to working with become uh, richer and richer and more expressive, um, I think I think in some respects generic programming as a sort of separate independent kind of discipline is is, is likely to sort of uh, disappear, be submerged into sort of the general general sort of um, uh, discipline of, of of programming the types. Um, but at the moment, I think the way you would tend to characterise it as um, it's having a um, it's programming which depends on having a a representation of. Uh, the shape of data in some very general sense of what, what the shape of a data type, uh, values of a data type might be, uh, being able to abstract over those shapes uh, in ways that allow you to perform uh, a, a variety of interesting operations on, on, on data independently of, of, um, uh, of the particular shapes that, uh, that it comes packaged into. A two tuple and a three tuple—they actually—they have no commonalities from the uh, from the perspective of the language. But actually, there they, there's a very clear relationship where it seems like I should be able to get the first element and then get the rest and and group the group the the rest by the first. But but you can't do that in the language. So generic programming is a way of. Is it, does that make sense? Is that um, pretty much? I, mean, I think I think you're, you're you're definitely right to observe that there there is uh, a commonality between um, those types, which uh, is uh, at least not directly captured uh, in in the language per se. Um, there there is actually a a, a a trivial and very very uninteresting and unhelpful uh, common type. They, they, both of those types, uh, tuple two and tuple three in Scala, share a common uh, type. Uh, called product, which is which is um, uh, and 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 serializable as well. I mean, both both of which are both of which are extremely unhelpful in the, in this kind of context. <laughs> um, it is not quite true to say that 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 the commonality can't be expressed directly in Scala. Uh, the common the commonality most definitely can. Um, um, what um, what might be more. Awkward. Uh, in this case, it's not particularly awkward, but in, in, in more complex cases, it might be more awkward. Is actually is actually working out how to um, um, uh, find what that uh, that common type is um, without having to write a certain amount of sort of boilerplate code, for example. Um, so, in the, in the case of a in the in the case of um, uh, in the case of tuple two and tuple three, um, the, the 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 thing they have in common is that they are. I mean, this is in a sort of slightly uh, mocking way captured captured by by the um, by the Scala uh, product uh, trait. Uh, they what they have in common is they are both product types. You can think of them as being. Um, uh, in the case of in tuple two, it's product of you know two types A and B. In the case of two tuple three, it's a it's a, it's a product of um, um, uh, three types A, B, and C. And here, I mean product in 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 the same way that you might think of a product in terms of sort of a vector space. So the difference is is if you like the dimensionality of of, of the space that you're talking about. But ultimately, these things are represented by um, by um, by um, a um, a product with of of the different uh, of the different um, dimensions, the different types that are involved here. So if you can come up with some way of representing uh, generally um, a uh, a product of types, um, then you've got and 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 then also work out some mechanism for uh, generally computing over types which represent. Products of types, um, then then you're 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 pretty far along with uh, being able to work in a in a in a in an abstracted way over over tuples. This is a product type, like in terms of a algebraic data type, as opposed to a sum type. Is that um, kind of the? It's a product type in the sense. Well, um, a, 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 a sum type re- represents a. Um, uh, is, is a co-product. It's uh, it's something which represents a choice uh, between uh, uh, different possibilities. A product is something which represents um, uh, several things. So uh, if we have a uh, a product of A, B, and C, then then if you have an instance of that type, you have both. You have all three of an A, a B, and a C. Uh, in the case of a sum type, uh, you can have a sum of A or B or C, and in that case. Um, actually, I prefer to use co-product in this context. Um, if you have a, 
I, I, we, we can come back to what the difference between between co-products and sums is later. Um, but if you if you have a, a co-product of those three types, you have exactly one of A, B, or C. So there is there is there is a there is there is a there is a, a difference here in terms of uh, in, in terms of what you, what 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 you get here. What what, what the elements that um, the type uh, is composed of are. There's a relationship here, I guess, between generic programming and dependent types. It seems to me I'm not I'm not quite clear on it. Um, like it seems like you're pushing the language towards having first class types. Um, um, what are your thoughts? Uh, I, I suppose so. Um, I, I, I I'm certainly enormously enthusiastic about dependent types. I think I think they are uh, they are a I think being able to bring dependent types into languages that, that people can use in, in their day jobs as opposed to, um, well, okay, there are some people who can already use um, languages like Agda, 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 Agda in, 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 in their day jobs, um, but, but, but they are a, a minority of us. I think, I think making, making dependent types more widely accessible, I think, would be, would be a, a wonderful thing. I think, I think that um, I saw that you had um, uh, Edwin Brady talking about uh, Idris on an earlier edition of, of this, this this podcast. Uh, I, I, I have enormous respect for the work that Edwin's been doing. I think it's I think it's fantastic stuff, and I think I I I, I uh, draw a huge amount of inspiration from 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 what what, what he's doing. Um, I think I, I to be honest, much as I would love to see it, I, I don't really see there as being any. Um, particularly natural evolution of Scala in the direction of a um, a, a sort of Idris-like full-spectrum dependently typed programming language. I, I, I think I think there are there are too many there's there's too much historical baggage. I think to make that work particularly well. Uh, in, in truth, I also think the same is true of Haskell. I think mm. I think you know, lot, there's lots of work being done on on dependent Haskell. Um, I I I I. I um, I, I will be very interested to see how that that plays out over the next few years. But I, I kind of I kind of think that the, the sort of the, the cleaner slate approach that, that Idris has taken is, is is likely to lead to a to a um, uh, a more more comfortable uh, to better ergonomics, I guess I guess in general for the, for, for the language. Um, but I think all of these things are pointing in, in, in the same direction. I think at least in the in the in the part of the, the software world where, where where types matter to us, uh, I think it's pretty clear that the, the direction is, of travel is in the direction of is in the direction of dependent types. Um, and I think that anything as much as we can do to kind of move things along in our own corners of of of, of, of the ecosystem, I think uh, I think the better. Um, so, to what extent? Um, so, I don't want. I don't want. I don't want to overclaim. I, I, I think I've. I've, de- I've definitely. I've definitely shown a lot of interesting ways that people can use um, uh, can use um, Scala's form of forms of dependent types uh, in, um, uh, in in fairly explicit ways, which and some of which I think were, were perhaps not expected and slightly slightly unanticipated, but. Um, it's important to remember that dependent types have been a part of Scala since the very beginning. I mean, so the very, very earliest descriptions um, of um, uh, of Scala and semantics um, make absolutely essential use of, of uh, at least a form of dependent typing. Um, you know, path-dependent types are something which has been part of the Scala language specification since you know 2004. Mm. Um, and they really are dependent types. I mean, there's there's a little bit of controversy about how broadly the um, the term um, you know, dependent type uh, should be uh, used with in, you know as, as far as programming languages are concerned. But I, I, I you know Con- Con- Conor McBride is I, I, I guess I guess one of the um, uh, the most visible uh, uh, people when it comes to, to uh, talking about and promoting sort of dependent types. Uh, perhaps perhaps more more in academic context than than than, than you know, we're amongst working programmers, um, but nevertheless, I mean, I think I think he, he takes he takes a, a fairly liberal view, which is that um, um, you know, there are there are an awful lot of programming languages which can be viewed quite quite reasonably as having aspects of of, of dependent typing. Um, 
certainly in conversation with him, he's, he's, he's quite comfortable to say that Scala is is one of those languages. Haskell is as well, even in the even prior to things like Dependent Haskell. Uh, just GADTs on their own get you some aspects of, mm. of, of dependent typing. Um, so... Um, so we, we are we are slowly getting there. I mean, it's 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 one of. I mean, it, it's actually kind of interesting that in in some respects that you know although although um, you know shapeless the techniques around shapeless sort of they are pointing in the direction of dependently typed programming. Actually, to some to some extent, the ways that they use Scala's intrinsic uh, dependent types is is almost accidental. Actually, that in many ways, um, the sort of the techniques that that, that shapeless uses are actually closer to some of the. The techniques in Haskell that you might use for sort of simulating dependent types without really, really having first-class dependent types. Even though Scala does actually have a form of first-class dependent typing, which I think is is kind of kind of amusing. I saw. So Edwin wants to use this term, uh, at least in in Idris, like first-class types. And I saw um, a Stack Overflow post um, where somebody was asking. He he has a very simple example um, of a function that takes a Boolean argument and then based on whether it's true or false, it, it returns a different type. Like it returns either string or int. Um, and, and you know, it's like three lines of Idris, but I saw you answer and you showed how to do it in Scala and, uh, and you were able to accomplish the goal, but I think it highlighted the fact that like uh, having functions over with the return types is, is not like a first class construct in, in Scala. Like it, no, that's the, yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, uh, I, I think pretty much everything that you you can find in in, in Edwin's uh, Edwin's book um, can be translated to Scala, um, but the translation in in many many cases is just going to be hopelessly unwieldy. It's going to be very 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 difficult to work with. Um, so it's 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 actually interesting because because uh, you know sometimes sometimes you hear an objection to um adding you know supposedly advanced programming language features to 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 a language which wants to sort of claim that it's mainstream on the grounds that you know adding these fancy fancy programming language features it it, it adds this weight this burden of complexity mm-hmm. um i i actually think that's 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 almost completely or looking looking at things almost completely the wrong way around. Um, the typically people um, are faced with solving um, you know pre-existing problems which which have which have a a, a degree of complexity of some sort mm-hmm. sort of intrinsic complexity in the in the nature of the problem themselves. Um, um, they are going to have to somehow or other encode that complexity in 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 in, in their programming solution. Um, if the if there is a natural way of expressing uh, something, then the you know the resulting the resu- the resulting program is 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 at least with respect to the you know the problem domain simpler. Um, if if you force people to kind of model things by by complicated encodings or um, you know um, uh, indirect ways of representing indirect represent ways of representing their, their problem domain. Then, then you end up with um, you know maybe maybe a solution which uses very simple uh, programming language contracts, but 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 the actual overall solution is is extremely complex. There's there's inevitably I mean I, there's a kind of you know law of conservation of complexity I suppose in a sense in as much as you know you squeeze it out in one place it pops up in another. So okay you you, you remove your sophisticated uh, forms of abstraction and polymorphism from a programming language. And you end up with with uh, enormous gobs of boilerplate, um, and you can go in the opposite direction, and you can eliminate uh, boilerplate. Mm. But to be able to do that um, uh, uh, um, as effectively as possible, um, you'll typically end up having to add um, non-trivial um, uh, programming language features of some sort or another. And I, 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 I think you know reasonable people can disagree about where along those scales uh, it makes sense to. Um, to set the dial, uh, my gut feeling is that that as we become more uh, uh, more accustomed to, to 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 using type systems to work for us, um, then it will become more and more natural to set the dial a bit further in the direction of of, of adding um, adding expressive power to 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 our language of types um, and going in that direction. 
and also the complexity at the language level, you know, it, you know, you learn that once and you can apply it anywhere the language you use. The, the complexity boiled into a, an ad hoc implementation in, in yeah, your application. Absolutely. Uh, you know, um, or, or it's even not even as reusable. I mean, I, I, the thing I, I guess I, 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 I'm quite happy to use an example now is um, take a look at the implementation of the lazy macro in Shapeless and then compare it with the implementation of by name implicits uh, in in the Scala compiler in 2.13, at least in the, in the pull request. Um, I think... Um, whatever you might think about the internals of the Scala compiler, which I, I, I think has been uh, unjustly maligned um, in, 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 in fairly unhelpful ways over the years, um, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's not a bad code base and it can be really quite pleasant to work with. Um, notwithstanding the fact that you know, the, the internals of the Scala compiler are, are not... Uh, are, are perhaps not completely straightforward, um, I think the implementation... Of binary implicit arguments um, is 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 uh, orders of magnitude easier to understand in the Scala compiler than it is in 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 the shapeless macro, mm. um, and I think um, you know I, th- I think if if people are concerned about complexity and fragility, then they should be even more com- concerned about uh, you know one off uh, ad hoc implementations of stuff uh, which uh, which aren't relied on by you know multiple parties. Uh, it seems to me there's a sense in which, uh, you know, like doing the, go back to my dependent type example, like doing that bool or int type in Scala uh, compared to Idris is, is sort of like doing functional programming in like an early version of Java, you know, compared to Scala. Like there's some sort of equivalence, right? Where you're encoding, you you have to understand, um, you have to understand what this looks like in a theoretical language that supports it and like back translate it into the constructs that, that are available. Yeah, I think I think that's right. So I, I was I was I was going to say, for what it's worth, I think I think that if people want to program in this style, they, they, you would um, absolutely be doing the right thing if you spent, you know, some time, even if it's just, um, you know, uh, hobby time, tinkering time, playing around with Idris um, or, or or one of the other uh, one of the other um, dependently type programming languages, um, uh, just to get a feel for what what's possible. I think I think I think one of one of the things that that's an enormous enabler um, is just seeing. But just what what can be done, um, um, you know. I think I think I think until 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 it, until it's you know clear that that the um, just how how broad the possibilities are. I, I, I think people don't even begin to think of of solving problems in those kinds of ways. And I think I think that 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 can be enormously helpful. So one thing you mentioned earlier was uh, a sum versus co-product. Do you you want to briefly touch on that? Oh right, okay, yeah. Um, so, um, um, so the difference between a sum type and a coproduct type is that a sum type is um, uh, is uh, uh, doesn't uh, represent uh, either order or duplication. So, for example, um, there, it, it, it doesn't make the sense make any sense to have a, a sum of a and a and a. Uh, the sum of a and a and a is just a. Uh, whereas the coproduct of a and a and a uh, is quite distinct from just a. Um, and uh, one way you can think about these things, I mean, uh, to be honest, I think I, 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 I've I, I've learned a lot in the process of of, of, of working. Uh, working through um, the, the various iterations of, of shapers, one one of the one of the the, the things I, I realised that was 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 a complete mistake was to actually have uh, first class uh, H list and and coproduct types. There's really no particular reason why um, they would be needed in preference to say having representing H lists, well, uh, representing product types as, as nested pairs. Um, Terminated by by units or something, and in the case of coproducts, as nested either's uh, terminated by by some terminal type, nothing maybe. Um, 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 but if you compare, for example, um, uh, an either type, think think about a nested a nested either. Um, there is there is quite clearly a difference between either of uh, a and either of a. Uh, or nothing and and plain A. Um, okay, so the different types. Does it matter? Uh, the answer is it, it kind of does matter because um, 
uh, one of the things that um, sort of the, the, the fact that, that these things are called co-products, uh, the co-prefix should, should be a little bit of a clue. Um, um, uh, co-products and products are, are uh, essentially dual to one another. Um, you know, it's the usual flip all the arrows and, and, and you preserve you preserve truths. Um, so one of the things that um, that drops out of um, working with uh, a, a co-product type like the one in shapeless is that is that pretty much everything you can do with an H list or sorry, a, a product type uh, can also be done in in exactly the same way um, uh, uh, for a co-product. So for example, there's a, there's a, a huge um, um, set of, of type classes in shapeless for, for manipulating H lists, doing things like you know, concatenating them, uh, transposing them, um, um, you know, uh, finding elements in them, all, all those kinds of things. Um, all of those operations translate directly um, to co-products. And they translate directly because um, the, 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 the structure of a, of a co-product type and the structure of uh, a product type are, to all intents and purposes, identical. Uh, and that's something that, um, that you don't get with a sum type because a sum type has, has this different structure. Uh, it, it, it has a structure which doesn't, doesn't uh, reflect um, uh, order or, 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 or repetition. I guess I'm I'm missing how they're. Sorry, I'm missing how they're identical. Could you? Um, Are there structures? Um, well, they have the same inductive structure in terms of a head and a tail. Um, I guess is 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 is, is the main thing. Um, okay. They 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 both have a particular kind of of, of monoidal um, structure, which which essentially means that that you can. I'm trying to think of a, a good example of. A um, um, of something which is. Let me think. Um, well, okay. So, 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 there's something that you might. Um, I think the thing to do would be to to to, to look at um, any of the. Uh, the the ops type classes in in H, in, in, in shapeless, so they're they're defined in um, for um, for H lists and code products um, separately. Um, so for example, you want to compute uh, mm -hmm. the um, type level length of a an H list. For example, so there is a, there is there is a there is a type class which mm -hmm. will compute the type level length of an H list. There is also a type level a type class which will compute the type level uh, length of a co-product. Um, although they are not mm. currently in shapeless the same code, um, if you look at the structure of the the, the type classes and the instances which which uh, um, which are provided for them, they are essentially identical. Uh, modulo the fact that one is parameterized in, in terms of, of H lists and the other is parameterized in terms of co-product. There is a single um, underlying abstraction which would allow both of those, um, uh, both uh, which would allow those two um, type classes to, to essentially become one. Um, and I think I think that's that's that. Um, uh, I think that is a potentially very powerful uh, additional abstraction. Um, that's something I've done a little bit of. So does it does it make sense to think of it like in terms of and and or like one is a certain structure? Yes, exactly, absolutely, exactly that, exactly that. Yes, um, and this a lot of this stuff comes from um, a um, uh, a paper uh, called uh, Data Types uh, titled uh, Data Types à la carte uh, from ICP uh, from the um, Journal of Functional Programming a few years back. Uh, it's well worth reading, and that's in many ways a lot. Of, a lot of the the um, it's sort of been foundational for quite a lot of the the um, uh, most interesting work on generic programming. I think I saw somewhere that you had based some of your earlier work on the scrap your boilerplate uh, paper. Um, I don't know if that's true or that's absolutely true. Um, yes. Um, so there's there's a number of different. Um, different strands in the in in the literature, which I guess um, have been circling around themselves in various different ways. Um, the 
I, I, I guess where Shapeless started right at the very outset was um, as a sort of challenge I set myself to see if I could uh, translate um, uh, the uh, variant of scrapier boilerplate that um, uh, is uh, described in the paper Scrap Your Boilerplate with Class. Uh, the, that's uh, Simon Payton Jones and... The reason the reason I started out with scrapy boilerplate is because um, there are for, for, for a start it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a mechanism which which um, um, so the, the 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 general idea behind scrapy boilerplate is to be able to perform um, general traversals over arbitrary data types and general um, uh, general trans- transformations on on arbitrary data types. Um, and um, mm-hmm. the mechanism that that was being described, particularly in that paper, uh, was one based on type classes. Um, it seen and and it had some particularly interesting interesting twists in it uh, when it was first presented uh, at ICFP in uh, two thousand and five. I think um, it, it, it the the way that it was being described sounded as though it might actually be particularly amenable to translation. Uh, to Scala, because one of one of the issues that that I can remember SPJ saying saying that he had trying to put together um, uh, put together this model was the fact that uh, in Haskell there is no um, uh, first class representation of type classes. Type classes are 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 different from types, and type class instances aren't aren't first class values in the way in which. Um, Seemed intuitively that they seem to be required for, for 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 doing taking the approach that he was taking in um, uh, in, uh, in 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 this paper, um, and one of the innovations that 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 that, um, that uh, he and the co-authors came up with in this paper was working out a mechanism for uh, coming up with something that's to to, to all intents and purposes uh, equivalent to having a first-class representation. Uh, of type classes and instances, and I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. I mean, we kind of have that for free in Scala um, uh, via um, you know type classes represented as types with uh, implicit values as as instances. It seems like we have that kind of for free. Um, maybe it would be interesting to see how straightforward it would be to translate that approach to uh, translate that approach to to Scala directly. And um, and it turned out, I, I, I won't say. I mean, in in retrospect. It's actually a fairly simple trans- 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 translate translation um, from the one to the other. Uh, at the time, it was enormously difficult. I mean, it took it took um, a very very long time, I think, to see exactly how uh, how to make that work. Um, I think I think um, people's sort of general um, uh, ability to kind of map uh, Scala concepts onto Haskell concepts and vice versa has. has has uh, improved dramatically. Well, I know for sure that mine has, at any rate, uh, has improved dramatically over the years. I think. I think. I think people people are, are much quicker to spot how um, how idioms that you find in in, uh, in in one in the one language can be translated over to the to the facilities available in the other. I think. I think much more more swiftly than used to be the case. Um, um, yeah. So. 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 So that's 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 um, that's kind of the origins, I suppose, of. Um, um, of uh, the origin of the origins of shapeless. Um, so did you did you sit down? But did did you have a goal in mind, or was this a fun project? Um, it was it was it was kind of part, partly a fun project. Um, but I'd also set myself. Um, I mean the 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 the. the the way I the way I set myself the way I set myself up to this for this was um, I, I I basically submitted a, a talk proposal for. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember which conference. So it was, it was a it was a, a um, it was a, a, a small conference put on by uh, Skills Matter in London. Uh, I think it was I think it was um, they 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 run a number of um, conferences which they uh, add uh, exchange to as a suffix. So there was um, you know the Scala Exchange. They also had an, uh, an FP Exchange, a Functional Programming Exchange, and there's a Haskell Exchange. I think this is one of the first um, 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 uh, FP Exchange. Uh, uh, workshops that they had. So I, I put in a talk proposal, um, which was uh, how will you implement Scrap Your Boilerplate in Scala, um, and and then um, um, uh, with uh, with the idea of, of forcing myself to actually fit, sit down and work out how to make this thing work. Otherwise, I was going to be extremely embarrassed. Not least because 
Uh, the keynote speaker, so someone who was actually going to be in the audience was going to be Simon, Simon Payton Jones. So I was going to have to come up with something <laughs> at least moderately, moderately um, convincing to be able to, to, to get that past him. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I, I very, very deliberately sat down to see if I could actually work out how to do this thing and, and spent a, a fair chunk of time on doing it. I have to say that, that, that um, although at the time I convinced myself that the first iteration um, was was doing the right thing. In fact, in retrospect, I realized there was a whole slew of things that I completely missed and misunderstood. And it took me, uh, I guess, probably uh, another couple of years worth of, of, of experience trying to use um, Shapeless to do interesting things before I fully, fully got to grips with uh, what the various missing pieces of the picture were. Um, I think one of the most important missing pieces of the picture was the fact that um, I hadn't fully appreciated the extent to which uh, recursion in uh, data types was actually going to be uh, an issue. I think I think some of the first things that people look at with generic programming is um, uh, things a little bit like the the, the examples that, that you were describing at the beginning, um, where you were talking about when well, you want to abstract over things of different arity, things tuples tuples of of, of, of different sizes, um, and be able to work with them. Generically, in most of those cases, um, we're not really talking about recursion in any interesting sense. Uh, we're, we're talking primarily about about types which are products, um, and types which are products, um, at least in, in in strict languages like like Scala, don't uh, aren't, aren't recursive because if they if they were recursive and they were just products, then then they would be infinite, um, which is something that that that. that doesn't tend to work terribly well in in in, in Scala, but um, at least not without without clever trickery. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't until um, people started seriously starting to want to play around with using um, uh, shapeless and generic programming to work with um, uh, with uh, ADTs, so things which are um, um, you know a, a, the, the, using the typical Scala representation of an ADT, namely a sealed trait. Uh, extended by some number of mm. uh, some number of case classes, um, which you can think of as a sum of products or a co-product of products representation um, of a data type. Um, it's at that point that that um, things uh, re- recursive things uh, show up begin to show up very very naturally and very very quickly. Um, so um, a uh, a list data type, for example, has uh, has two branches. It has a, a nil case and it has a, a cons case. Um, the cons case has a, if it's a list of T, it will have a, a T element, uh, and it will also have another list. So as you, as you work your way through um, a value of the data type, uh, you will typically find yourself uh, revisiting uh, the type that you started with. If I, as I walk through the, the structure of a, a list of T, I will repeatedly uh, revisit the type list of T uh, until, until eventually I hit the end of the list. Um, and and this this is this is this is something you don't see until if you're if you're only working with with product types because uh, as I said um, the, the, the recursion there won't show up um, but as soon as you do you, you you tend to hit it almost immediately and and in those circumstances the the kinds of mechanisms which um, in uh, in Scala in general in shapes in particular you would use to be able to compute over these types implicit resolution. Um, is um, is almost uh, immediately going to, to basically fail for you um, uh, as you're trying to, if you like, summon a, a a type class instance for a recursive data type. Then the, the moment the compiler hits the first recur- recursive occurrence of the data type you started with, it's going to complain that um, uh, that the uh, implicit uh, expansion that you're currently working with has diverged, and then the compiler will bail. With a diverging implicit expansion error, and everything grinds to a horrible halt. Um, getting to understand exactly what what was going on with that, and working out how um, how to deal with that kind of um, that kind of case, I think I think was um, it was both in, it was it was both interesting from the point of view of actually actually solving that problem, which uh, at least initially in Shapeless was uh, via Shapeless's lazy um, pseudotype. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was both that was both um, you know very encouraging in the sense that you know perhaps somewhat amazingly it turned out that it was possible to solve this problem via a, via a Scala macro, um, which is I think surprising. Um, uh, 
so that, that that was that was kind of nice. It was encouraging because that actually opened up a whole uh, whole new range of of, of things that um, uh, shapes could practically be used for. So, for example, most of the type class derivation um, uh, type applications that shapeless is used for these days, um, um, which I suppose I haven't mentioned. I haven't actually given out, explained what what type class derivation is yet, um, but. Very briefly, um, using the sort of if you like the generic structure of a data type to drive the mm-hmm. um, uh, automatic generation of type class instances for for that data type. Um, so it's, it, I, I, type class derivation isn't the same thing as generic programming, but generic programming can certainly be used uh, for type class derivation. That that I think is now is now the main the main application of shapeless. Um, and it was so. Can we, what's a what's an example? Um, well, the typical. To kind of add some meat the, the to it. The typical examples um, that um, uh, you, you find almost everywhere are, are deriving codecs, for example, for for algebraic data types. So um, uh, I think uh, one of one of the, the the first libraries to do this in, in a really really nice elegant way was um, uh, Michael Pilquist's uh, S codec or SCODEC, depending on how you how you pronounce it. Um, uh, things like Circe, for example, um, Travis Brown's um, JSON. Um, uh, JSON library for Scala is, is another really nice example of, of the same thing. Um, um, so there, um, the, the idea is that uh, at least in, in some modes of operation, you should be able to uh, present uh, present your your serialization deserialization library with um, a value of some data type it knows nothing about, uh, and uh, have uh, the library uh, infer. Uh, the appropriate serializer and deserializer type class instances for, for that data type without without any runtime reflection, for example, just working off the structure, the generic structure of the data types in question. So like if we're talking about um, like serialization to, to uh, JSON, like we're talking about adding a type class that can do this conversion based on the, the structure of the ADT. Uh, that's well. Uh, the the type class is, is is will be defined by 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 the library, uh, but providing an instance for that type class for a, for a, for a, for a user supply data type. Yes, that's right. I, I wonder if we if we could dig into this example. So I could have, um, as you're saying, a, a product and co-product type. So maybe I have. Uh, Actually, do you have do you have a good well, example? Might or? as well use the, the the list example that that we had earlier on. So uh, a list being a um, uh, being a, a co-product of, of nil and cons, and cons being a a product of a t and and a list of t, maybe. Mm-hmm. So in this case, um, the codec has to be able to serialize and deserialize a recursive value. The list itself is is recursive. Uh, at uh, in its in, its type is recursive, so um, what that means is that that basically a any any type class instance which is capable of serializing or deserializing a list um, itself has to be recursive. So if the the type class instance is being computed um, by implicit resolution. It means that somehow or other, uh, implicit resolution has to has to produce a recursive value, a value which refers to itself, um, and that's that's precisely the thing that the um, uh, that the the the, the divergence checker is 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 intended to 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 prevent from happening. It's supposed to it's supposed to prevent you from uh, attempting to um, uh, make uh, recursive. Uh, implicit resolutions. I mean, it's 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 on on the assumption that there is no way of, of sort of as it were implicitly tying the knot uh, to make a to make a um, a a, a um, uh, to make a, 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 a finite sort of lazily constructed um, uh, recursive value. So so the lazy type constructor was basically a, a mechanism to provide just exactly that mechanism to provide a, a means by which uh, an implicit uh, resolution uh, can Produce a um, uh, a recursive value. I mean, it uh, provides a mechanism for, for implicitly um, implicitly tying tying a recursive knot. Um, that that was an, I, 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 I think an absolutely critical part of 
um, making shapeless actually useful for doing um, for doing uh, real real work, uh, pretty much. And it, it was it wasn't until I'd actually run into this problem uh, attempting to um, put together um, a uh, an automatically derived. Uh, extension for a a a, a, a serialization library that I, I realized that this was 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 a critical missing feature, and then I, I went back to the original um, Simon Payton Jones um, scrap for boilerplate paper and and realized there's a whole big chunk. Um, there's, there's a big section on um, uh, how uh, he had to extend uh, GHC to support something he called recursive dictionaries. Um, which um, mm-hmm. which I had completely glossed over. I had completely I had completely missed um, because at the time I'd only been thinking about product types. So 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 the need for such things was was uh, was was not was not at all clear to me. And, and I realised that that basically I had uh, in effect rediscovered the same problem that he solved um, several <laughs> numerous years before, and 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 effectively reinvented a very similar kind of solution, which was also I think really kind of interesting. Um, but by, by the way, this relates to some some work I'm I'm I am doing currently, um, uh, in conjunction with Lightbend. Uh, one of the things I have been working on is um, 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 actually adding the something with more or less the same semantics as Shapeless is lazy directly uh, directly to Scala. So this is some work I'm doing on the Scala compiler right now. Um, I I'd um, spoken to. Um, one one of the things I, I, I suppose I've been thinking about for a while is, is shapeless is, is um, I, I have a, a very mixed um, uh, mixed feelings about about macros in Scala. On, on the one hand, um, I, that they are used quite significantly by shapeless um, to do various things that, that can't be done in any other way. On the other hand, I mean shapeless is all about it's all about using using you know the power of types. In the uh, directly in the programming language, as opposed to sort of escaping out to sort of extra linguistic mechanisms like I don't know code generation or mm-hmm. whatever. And mac- macros are you know basically the same as code generation. So in a way, it's it's sort of it's it's always felt slightly um, uncomfortable that that, that shapeless, which is supposed to be based on you know, sort of principled, uh, you know, typeful, type driven development style, is actually under the hood is is is, is very much. Um, uh, is is very much in in hock to to uh, to, to um, scala macros. Um, there's practical issues as well, which is that there's, that there's absolutely no chance whatsoever that that um, scala macros will be in any way, shape, or form portable to Dossy. Um, and in many ways, the existing macro API, because it because it exposes so many internal compiler details, it's, it's a bit of a boat anchor on the, the current scala implementation. It, independently of Dossy, it's very difficult uh, to change. Uh, internals when 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 those internals are actually exposed and things which are relied on and used by uh, by by people in macros. Um, so it, it's it's always been in the back of my mind that, that I've wanted to try and work out some mechanism for basically adding the minimal set of additional primitives to to to, to Scala to be able to um, either reduce the use of or ideally just eliminate the the, the, the need for macros and shapeless altogether. Um, so as part of that, I've been thinking about well, what could you do to replicate shapeless is lazy. Um, uh, it turns out that um, there is a hole uh, in well, not so much a hole as a, a, there is a um, there is a if you like an empty space in in Scala syntax, just almost you know crying out for for, for being repurposed for for exactly this purpose, which is um, uh, by name implicit arguments. So um, in in current mm-hmm. Scala, um, uh, implicit arguments are only allowed to be uh, standard strict uh, uh, strict arguments. It's not possible to have by name mm. arguments. And it goes to me, well, you know, we have potentially. I mean, if you, if you can you can attempt to write a, a by name implicit argument, and it will just be rejected by you know unsupported. You know, implicit arguments must be strict or something along those lines. Um, but it goes to me, you know, you. Could potentially um, you know, use that syntax uh, anywhere where lazy is currently used um, in uh, in um, shapeless code, which which does that kind of thing. Um, and um, this is actually a really really smooth, easy transition path from uh, the languages that exist now to, um, to to something which has this, this rather interesting extra feature. Because you know, basically, the syntax is currently unused. There are no existing programs which which need to have their their meaning changed or adjusted in any way whatsoever. 
Um, and so I think I'm trying to remember what it was. It was I think I think it was it was uh, a couple of years ago at I bumped into Martin um, Adersky at um, Scar IO, um, and kind of mentioned that I was kind of toying with the idea of, of seeing if I could I could um, add those uh, semantics to uh, by name as an argument, and sort of hummed and hard about it and thought about it and went away. And the next thing I knew, <laughs> he'd added that feature to, to Dossie. So Dossie, Dossie has, uh, has binary <laughs> arguments. Um, uh, I, was, I, was, I was sort of briefly kind of slightly encouraged that that was great because, you know, Martin had done it. That means I wouldn't need to write a SIP, uh, which is the, the Scala, um, Scala improvement document, specification document, which, um, um, uh, which uh, is, is supposed to accompany any any new Scala language feature. Unfortunately, although I thought that that, that that would mean that Martin or one of his students would do it, that that hasn't actually transpired. So I ended up having to write this it myself. But anyway, um, so, <laughs> so um, um, you know, with the precedent of this of this having ha- ha- been in, been done in Dotty, um, it, it, it seemed like a bit of a no brainer to just add this. Um, as a feature to to Scala, uh, if we're lucky, um, there is a there is a pull request um, sitting in the uh, event Scala Scala uh, GitHub repo. Um, there is a SIP currently going through the SIP committee, um, and uh, if we're lucky, um, we should with any luck see um, by name implicit either either as described there or with some tweaks and adjustments um, arriving in Scala two thirteen, um, which will be. Really, I think I think uh, really quite a nice uh, a nice addition to the language, and uh, from my point of view, as the sort of the maintainer of shapeless, it will be an absolute godsend because the um, the, the shapeless macros uh, that support uh, the lazy type constructor are absolutely horrendous. I, I they, they 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 are not they're not they're not pieces of code that I would wish on anybody um, because to do the things that they do, they have to rely on all sorts of really horrific. They, they they have to go beyond the the, the the official public macro API to and make use of various uh, nefarious uh, bits of um, uh, Scala compiler internals to do to do the work that they do and the actual direct implementation directly as part of the language is, is hugely simpler much less fragile. I mean, sort of the definition you had for for generic uh, programming was that like things that you can't do like first class in the language. So you know, is is your path here to to constantly Kind of try to get things added to the language until until the story becomes I think, better. I think so. Or? Yes. Um, is I, this, this is an example. This is definitely an example yeah. of that. Um, I, I I think I would actually be very very pleased to see shapeless uh, disappear more or less. Uh, it just simply become a a, a a bunch of ways of of just using um, first class features of, of 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 the of the language itself. Um, I I think that um, there are. Uh, there are there are a number of things that that um, uh, I'm you know, quite proud that Shapeless has sort of raised to prominence in in, in Scala programming in general. Uh, I think you know generic programming is one of them. Programming with singleton types and dependent types, I think, is is another. Um, these things all sort of play and hang together quite nicely in various different kinds of ways. I think most of the most interesting uses of Shapeless um, tend to um, Tend to use more than one of them, I suppose. I mean, it's very common to find uh, singleton types being, being being used in conjunction with um, generic programming, um, because so singleton types um, uh, for people who don't know are um, very very precise types. So they are uh, types which have a, um, a a single inhabitant. So, for example, as well as the type string, which represents you know the strings foo, bar, baz, and all the rest of them, you might have a type. Um, uh, foo, um, which is re- which is inhabited only by the value foo. Um, now, on the face of it, it might not seem particularly useful to have um, a, a type with a single inhabitant of of, of that form. Um, but in fact, um, it is enormously valuable in that it allows you to uh, lift uh, a number of. Um, interesting sort of value level constructs to the type system. So for example, uh, one of the things that you might want to be able to do with, um, say, a case class when you're working with it generically um, is represent not just the, the, um, the types of the elements that it contains. So for example, if I have a, um, a, a case class which contains an int and a string, um, 
um, as well as being able to represent the fact that it's an int and a string, which you could represent as, I don't know, a, a, a tuple a tuple two of an int and a string. You might also want to capture the fact that the um, um, that the 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 the, the uh, the label, the, the name, the field name for the integer is, I don't know, for example, age, and the um, the label for the string is uh, name. Um, and uh, if you can do that in, a, in an interesting way, which allows you to um, 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 actually work with uh, labeled uh, types or labeled uh, labeled records uh, in uh, in, in a similar way to the way that you might work with them as, as values, then you can you can do an, all, an awful lot of very, very interesting things at compile time. So one of the applications... For instance, the, uh, the, the, the serializer we were talking about earlier, right, would require... Absolutely, this. yes. Um, so if the serializer is going to make use of... Um, uh, of um, of uh, of labels rather than just sort of positional information, then yes, it absolutely needs to be able to have some kind of access to to some uh, representation of uh, the labels that are that, that, that are used um, uh, to to, to uh, pick out the fields. Um, um, there are other things that you can do with it as well. Um, I mean, there are, there are some very interesting things that people have done with um, uh, sort of using these kinds of techniques. Um, to uh, model uh, database migrations. So, for example, if you're if you're if you're moving a, um, I don't know, you're moving a table from one schema to another, and you've um, I don't know, reordered some columns, you've added some columns, uh, you've got some values of the old data type, and maybe you've got some mechanism for adding, um, uh, uh, I don't know, adding or computing values of, of of say the new columns or. or Sorting things around, it would be very nice if you could just ask the compiler to uh, infer for you the transformation that's required to, to 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 turn a value of the old row type into a value of the new row row type. Um, if you know, provided with additional sort of supplementary values to fill out the, the, the missing elements, and that's something that you can actually do really, really quite nicely if you are able to um, uh, if you're able to uh, line up a line. Um, the, the 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 columns um, uh, not just by the type because obviously I mean, very very often we'll find you know, the same type appearing uh, in, in in many columns uh, in a schema but also by their name as well and if you can perform that kind of permutation um, or at least you know, have the schema for that kind of permutation sorry not the schema you can have the uh, if you have the um, the sort of description of that uh, that permutation can be computed for you at at compile time, that can be really quite nice, and you can in effect, in effect, write um, a um, uh, a migration of sorts just 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 once, and have that apply to any 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 uh, any mapping from um, one row type to another. And that's that's I think that's also kind of quite a nice, interesting use of uh, these kinds of techniques. So that that requires that requires um, singleton types, um, singleton types. Uh, have uh, are making their way. Well, they have made their way into um, uh, into um, Scala, both in Dossi and and just recently in in um, Scala two thirteen, by way of the uh, the literal types um, uh, language extension, which um, has gone through the SIP process. It's, it's been around for a very very long time now. It's taken uh, it's taken many many years to actually land in the um, Scala compiler tree, but it's it's there now for two thirteen. So I guess that's that's another that that is another so piece you, of shapers which has made its way into into the language, uh, which I think uh, I think is is also a great thing. I'm interested to hear about this process um, where you you have the type level compiler and and you're you're what trying out ideas there and then hoping to get them into mainline Scala two or. Or what's the process? Um, well, the type of Scala compiler um, is, is very much a it's it's, it's been very much testbed um, for um, trying out uh, approaches to um, problems which are, are particularly traditionally have been uh, of interest to people kind of working at the more functional and typeful end of the Scala programming language uh, spectrum. Um, Things things like literal types um, certainly made their first appearance in, in the types level um, Scala compiler fork. Um, uh, 
At this precise moment, um, I, I'm, most of my, my effort is actually involved on getting things out of the type, the type level Scala compiler fork and into the language proper. Uh, I think I think that's always been the goal. Mm. Uh, I think the the really the really the really great news is that um, uh, for the last um, um, the last year or so, I think we've actually been making really quite significant progress and actually 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 doing that, having a type level uh, fork um, as uh, an environment where you know people can actually get some real experience with um, with uh, language extensions. Um, and, and just, for example, maybe even just learn that, that a particular approach doesn't really work. So uh, I want to be uh, somewhat conscious of your time. Um, you know, if I learned one important lesson, it's that I should apply to speak at a conference for something I haven't created. And then, you know, several years later. <laughs> Absolutely do it. Yes. I hi- highly recommend it. All right, Miles, it's been great to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time. 